and welcome in everyone to a special edition of The Hoon. We're going around the world again, and um, this one is a cracker because we're going to Warsaw, Wellington. In Poland, I believe. In, in Poland. And we're. Warsaw and Ohio as well, but we won't do that. Warsaw, comma, Ohio, or Kairos, comma, Texas. <laughs> right. No. And Dunedin, comma, Dunedin, uh, or Tipoti, comma, Aotearoa. No, it'll be a, a great show. We've got uh, Josie Pagani on uh, from five o'clock. Shortly, we shall bring her in. And then um, uh, we, later on from 5.30, we have a special new guest, Adam Yasser, a former Reuters correspondent and colleague of ours, and particularly of um, Peter's in London, who ended up being a minister in the Polish government and basically the head of their ComCom or Commerce Commission running things. So really looking forward to that. Now let's um, pull... Uh, and, and and Robert Patman. Oh, and oh, Robert Patman, of course. Had, uh, Robert from Oti Party. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, Robert Patman from the University of Otago to talk about all the drama in the world of geopolitics, the global economy, uh, all sorts of... Um, well, are we talking about New Zealand gulags too? G gulags? Which ones yeah, are these? Gulags for young troublemakers. Ah, so yes. No, this is, this is this is really good. Fantastic to see you, Josie. Thank you very much for joining us on the Hoon. Kia boys. Hi, Josie. How are you? Oh, it's very kind of you to say boys. Yeah. We are boys. We're silly. We're very silly boys. And and, and shirt on, Peter. Peter is very much. It's, Peter it's is oh. decidedly boyish. Thank you. That's it's, that's a look I'm going for in a way. Peter is going to be age appropriate, but let's not go there. Peter is uh, completely rocking the shirt game today, and I need to improve my flowery. Flowery action, but um, onwards and upwards. Um, we were just talking before you came on, Josie, about um, the gulags uh, that we're well, a potential national government would set up. That's a bit rude. These kids, these difficult <laughs> kids. Um, we think we start off with some local politics before we launched off into the um, global sphere. Um, what did you make this week of the various uh, announcements, um, not only from the government, we had the RMA, but of course from the opposition with the national parties plan to reprogram the Ram Raiders, um, put tags on the electronic tags on the 10 year olds and put the rest into military camps. Yeah. Um, the 1980s phoned and they want their land. <laughs> um, I think it's more like the 1950s. Isn't it? Yeah, actually, that's right. I'll, I'll perfect that line. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, first of all, I think they're responding to something genuine. Like I do think, and all the polling showing that, right, the Insos polling crime is suddenly shot up as a key issue for people, right? And same in America with the midterms, although it ended up being less of an issue in the midterms. But, you know, and that's because uh, there is crime that has gone up. I mean, even in my own life, my kids have both had their motorbikes stolen, uh, my daughter's had a flat broken into. I mean, it's kind of like, wow, that's just... Yeah, but Josie, just, you know, we, we know that your experience, while tragic and horrible and awful, mm. is not necessarily yes. uh, reflective of national statistics. This is true, yes. But, that, but, that what, but what is true is that there is a rise in some forms of crime and often violent crime. Mm. So not homicide in New Zealand, homicide in America, for sure. Um, uh, my stepmother lives in Atlanta. My brother uh, grew up there. Uh, massive increase in the murder rates, right, since COVID. Which was already fairly spectacular, I think. In yeah. 
That's right. Yes. So, so there is a rise in in some um, random, you know, knifing crimes, for example, ram raids and all that. So they 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 focus group the hell out of this, of course, and they're responding to something where people are going, "I'm really worried that if you get burgled, the police can't come out because they're not resourced enough." Mm-hmm. Uh, but God help you if you offend someone under hate speech legislation, you might be arrested. Oh, so they're turning it into part of the culture wars. So politically, oh, what an incredible surprise that is. No, they haven't. But politically, I think that's people are going, hold on a minute. Why aren't the police coming out to, you know, there's a drug deal outside uh, a house. Why aren't the police turning up? Um, and if they're not resourced enough, you know, what's going on? Mm. So I think there's a genuine issue there. But I think what the, the response Politically, it's just silly, right? Boot camps is something that, first of all, it's built into the national brand. They're, they're tough on law and order anyway. We don't need convincing that you're going to be tougher. Well, than they, like- say, they say they are, of course, but being, being tough on law, law and order is, is quite a different thing from um, actually doing but, it. Yeah, but this is about perception. So, so that I don't think politically it's a very good move for them because we'll, no one's going to go, wow, National's proposing a really tough prime for young criminals. They're just going to go, yeah, well, we expected that. And, and National's polling isn't shifting. National's polling is very static. It's, so, it's really um, interesting because we've had a couple of poll results this week. Um, Roy Morgan finally turned up and we got the, uh, what used to be called UMR, which is now the... Um, Albert. Mills. Yes, Talbot Mills uh, poll, which is the uh, in-house one that corporate subscribers get and is done for the for the Labour Party, which shows pretty much national and Labour neck and neck. And that was the same results pretty much for centre-life, centre-left, centre-right for the Roy Morgan poll. And it's very clear that the government, Labour, has decided to uh, attack uh, Christopher Luxon directly. That uh, really kicked off with Grant Robertson's speech at the Labour conference a couple of weeks ago, and whenever you see him in Parliament, he's going straight for a Luxon's jugular. They see weakness. They see uh, someone Can who is... Has Luxon got a jugular? Can we see it? I think he's kind of a nose star, isn't he? We'll have him on the show soon, Peter. And you... <laughs> he's a no-hair guy, but, you know... Yeah. yeah. He... and. And that, that, he does that well, I have to say. He does, he does. He does. Yeah, and, and he his own personal popularity ratings have stalled, um, still well mm. behind the PM, although the PM's quite a bit down. And we had another, another um, faff, gaff, uh, stumble, foot-and-mouth moment this week when he accidentally did a U-turn on Nationals policy on the so-called U-tax uh, and then had to do a, a U-turn afterwards where the, um, the classic uh, members of the... Um, leader's office rang the media to say, well, you know, when he said that, what he actually meant was that. It was 180 degrees, yeah. <laughs> as, and it was perfectly described as, as a U-turn on a U-turn, which is a donut by the opposition, but, oh, sorry, be, by the government. And but, so, Josie, where, where does all this crap come from at the moment? So I think it's that they're second, they're doing that classic opposition thing of thinking, oh, wow, we're not doing too badly. Let's just do nothing to rock the boat. Let's wait for Labour to lose. So you're right, Bernard, all the polls have got National and, and Labour basically um, stalling and Labour going down, actually. So National stalling, Labour's hovering around that 30% mark, even a 29%, I think was in the Roy Morgan one. I can't remember which one, but they will not like that, right? Anything with a two in front is like you're, you're, you know, you're trending down. And I think it's, it's that classic opposition mistake. They think they don't have to be uh, risky or um, they don't have to go out on a, on a, 
crusade about something. They just tend to sort of be very bland and 50 shades of beige. 50 shades of the 50s, maybe. Yeah, right, exactly. So I think what's happened, like the U-turn, is like they're kind of second-guessing themselves. And actually, you know, I think National had something, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think they had something to say there. They should have issue about $8,000 subsidies to Tesla owners buying $70,000 Tesla, $70, Teslas and, and guys who, and women who drive utes having to, you know, pay more. Who's paying for the climate change transition? So they could have owned that. Well, the ute drivers, of course. Yeah, exactly. As they so should. They, they should have owned that and had a, you know, had, yeah. I think that would have been really brave of them to start positioning themselves as the party of working New Zealanders who are, you know, trying to get through the cost of living crisis and can't afford to be the people who pay for the climate change transition. So, so is it actually Damon Seymour that they're trying to reposition themselves against though? With, with something as silly as this boot camp idea, which is, you know, superficially absolutely brilliant idea. Let's just take all our difficult people and we'll put them down in Harkia, which is absolutely suited for them. And there'll be no child why, abuse. Why no yeah, why, yeah, 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 why are we? Because we, yeah. yeah, we sent all our uh, 160 soldiers to um, train the Ukrainians in, um, in, in England. But, and we'll train them how to do really, really good ram raids. Yeah, you know, track in the right place. They're trying to. Is it is it act in fact that National is trying I, to act fact here? I don't think so. Although David Seymour did have this um, issue of a couple of weeks ago about saying that there should not be a opposition leader of the house because actually what he's implying is that he's actually the leader of the opposition, not Christopher Luxon. But yeah. I don't think so because they need act to be strong, right? They need that that right block to be strong. I think it's it's you know, where they let themselves down on that policy is a, you know, 1950s law and order policy, but also they've been come up with a package that had, you know, all the social investment stuff, the wraparound services, the, you know, we'll get to vulnerable families, difficult families, you know who they are, we're going to work with them, we're going to have the stick and the carrot, the stick and the carrot, get your kids to school. And if you don't get your kids to school, then we're going to send them up to Wairu and sort them out. If they'd done something like that, the narrative would have been different, but instead they just went boot camp, boot camp. So I don't think, I don't think it's about trying to match that. I think it's about, it's, it, it is... It's the fact that they're playing it too safe, you know, and, and gosh, in this day and age at the moment, we need politicians who actually stand up and say something, you know, that we can all understand and trust. And Jesse, isn't, isn't that whole, no, what you just said, I mean, because I, I'm, and, and I, admit, I haven't been back for a long time, I'll be back a bit now, but that sounded a very morning reportish description, wrapped around services, you know, blah, 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 services, public services, blah, 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 social welfare, care, care, care. Aren't they, aren't they right to tap in? Well, isn't it politically smart for them to tap into the um, individual responsibility question, which David Seymour pushes quite heavily? Yeah, so own the individual responsibility mm. option. So don't, don't mm. back down off the consequences, um, but then neutralise your opposition, your, your, your lefty opposition, by saying, taking the Bill English line of, you know, targeted family. We know who these families are. We know the kids that are... That are you know, truant from school and going on ram raids, and we're going to throw everything at those families and, and those communities. And also use, you know, local community groups, whether it's iwi, whether it's church groups, whether it's, you know, local NGOs, whether it's local councils. And they did it in England. They did it under a Tory government and, and got that juggle perfectly right with responsibility, but also, you know, 
we all want these families not to be police call-outs on a Friday night mm. domestic violence, right? So they could have had a whole narrative around that and they just didn't. So oh, I, I think you're right, Josie, in that it looks stale. It looks like they haven't come up with a brand new idea. And, and the beauty of the Bill English version of um, caring conservatism, of increment of radical incrementalism is that Bill English had a genuinely new and interesting idea, which was to use data to very carefully target investment at people who needed it most and where it would pay off and save us all. And did he come up? Did he, was it him who came up with that? Well, he's, he's actually one of the New Zealand problem. Well, he's actually one of the first. know where you live. Uh, no, well, that's the sort of dark side of it, but he was one of the first, I think, in government in uh, a reasonably modern economy who has tried this and he often gets pulled in. The, the Australians are in love with the idea and a whole bunch of others. And it's, it's superficially quite appealing. It struggled a bit in practice because of the very things that you're suggesting there, the privacy concerns, the data sharing, and frankly, the ability of the government to do anything innovative and collaborative with IP was pretty poor. And um, it struggled in, in reality, but at least it was a new idea. They did it in England. And they did it, Tony Blair did it, right? Yeah. He was the first to do it. And then they extended it under the Tory government. Under the hoodie. Well, so what they did, it was in Newcastle Council when basically uh, um, the policy, central government, Tory government said, uh, you've got X number of problem families in Newcastle. We're spending all this money on benefits, police call-outs, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, housing. So we're just going to give you that money, equivalent of that money. You sort these families out. So then the council goes in and goes, right, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to we're, we're going to give you the, the right kind of counselling, the right kind of care. And if you have more than X number of police call-outs on a Friday night, if your kids don't go to school, we're going to take your house away from you. Mm. So... They just localized it and it, and it worked really well. You know, I haven't seen the latest data. It's a long time ago now, but. Yeah. And I think. I think four, of course, just to turn the entire thing into a, into a uh, reality TV show, but carry on. Yeah. Well, that's, well, you know, that's one way to fund these things. Um, but, but Josie's right. And I think that this is a new approach, whereas the um, boot camp thing, it really is from a, um, uh, another era. And I also think it shows the fundamental problem with Christopher Luxon versus, say, someone like John Key is that he is not as nimble at explaining these um, policies or doesn't appear to surprise and delight. And the, 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 the example I give of surprise and delight is very early in John Key's opposition leadership, he surprised everyone by bringing the National Party around to vote with the government against anti-smacking legislation. And suddenly, middle suburban mom, New yeah. Zealand, was going, actually, this guy's different. I wasn't expecting yeah. that. And, and we've yet to see that from... Doing. Yeah. He's not, he's not reaching out of his base. So there's a big debate in politics at the moment. And you saw it in the midterms. Do you go after your base and mobilise your base to turn out to vote? Or do you do you persuade? Do you try and get the mm -hmm. swing? And, and there was a really interesting article from Ezra Klein in the New York Times saying that Politics is calcified, you know, it's that the left and the right tribes have pretty much stayed where mm. they were from um, 2016 to 2020. Those two elections in the US are very, very similar. 
Um, so there's not many people shifting. And I think we're getting to the same situation in New Zealand where the left and right block are quite stable, but but in, under MMP, a few votes shifting can make a huge difference. So I, that's the thing for national. They need to get out and persuade beyond their own base. Mm. Just finally, um, JC, because I know you have to head off shortly. Um, great column today in the... Great column today in the Dominion Post. Fabulous um, lead. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. you. And um, we particularly uh, were interested in the whole summit uh, season thing. Uh, we've had Joe Biden and Xi Jinping meeting for the first time since Biden's inauguration. Uh, all sorts of summits and communiques coming out and not coming out. Um, uh, Peter and I and and uh, no doubt Adam yet <laughs> later on have all reported on gazillion communiques we can't remember. Um, uh, but do these big summits actually make a difference? Well, increasingly not, right? So, so yes, there is. I'm not saying that diplomacy is important and, and that getting in the same room isn't something, right? So when Biden and Xi Jinping get in the same room, you, I'm, I, they could talk about anything. I mean, I really couldn't care less. But the fact that they're in the same room, you know that, okay, and this was a, 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 an Economist article too, said this, that the yeah. floor and the dysfunctional relationship is set. So they're not, they're not going to, if they're talking about anything, at least they're not going to misunderstand each other and, you know, drop a nuclear bomb. So good, that's good. Does it actually shift anything? I mean, increasingly, no. And I think it comes to the question we're having domestically, that there's an appetite amongst the public for moral purpose in politics, mm -hmm. right? And that's why populists are so um, popular. That's why Trump's done so well. It's why, you know, Bolsonaro did well. It's why Orban in Hungary does well. So, you know, if you if the international system is going to keep being this very bureaucratic, you know, com communique and negotiating one word over another word, um, if, if the public lose faith in these organizations, they they collapse. You know, I disagree with you a little bit on that, Josie. I mean, I, I agree with you on, on COP27 because I think it's going to be a fiasco um, and, and a very silly fiasco. But I have been really well, struck. Or rather worse than that, just a very expensive mm. lunch. It's what I've been, yeah, with, with apparently not terribly good coffee and probably even worse lunch. But uh, I was really struck by, when we probably will talk about this, um, unfortunately, after you've gone with Robert Patman, but the Xi Trudeau conversation and the Xi-Biden conversation, I didn't take what a lot of other journalists did. This was negative. I saw it as Xi being there, being present, knowing there was a camera present, and Xi being deeply engaged, and Xi actually trying to get some views across in a remarkably transparent way. Of course, he's got total authority now. And I, I actually, you know, I'm kind of naive about these things, as you know, but I feel rather really positive coming out of that G, not that I was there at a G20 thing, but watching what came out of that G20. And I reckon Jacinda will get an invitation to go to Beijing fairly soon to help wrap up the entire state of global affairs to, because only she can do it. On uh, 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 what, uh, what evidence are you basing that piece of uh, my, my opinion entirely. <laughs> the, 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 the evidence is she's presence, the way he handled Trudeau. Oh, I think that was really interesting, yeah. And, and actually, that was a moment that partly stood out because it felt authentic and you were exactly. actually witnessing a genuine conversation rather than the, you know, um, the sort of fang smiles, the, the kind of smiles between leaders that you, the smile that you can only make with your gritted teeth, you know, exactly going, that, which, which yeah. Macron was incredibly good of a good, yeah. good of us. No, I think that's exactly, that's exactly that. 
Josie, yes, authentic, authenticity. authenticity. And mm. if you think about Xi, who hasn't been out of out of China apart from to go to that weird meeting in Mongolia where he met um, uh, uh, Putin, you know, he hasn't been he hasn't been out of China since he did that weird declaration with Putin of undying love, which he now profoundly regrets. Clearly, I just felt we saw a different side to that, and it gave me a little bit of hope. Yeah, and actually, and his comments on Putin were very reassuring in the sense that no, he wasn't suddenly saying he he um, is pushing back against an illegal war in Ukraine, mm. but he wasn't saying what Putin would have wanted him to say. So that and there's a lot of positive stuff that came out of that for sure. But I do think the failure of the international system to um, you know, to be able to respond effectively to the war in Ukraine, uh, the the junta in in Myanmar, the coup in Myanmar. I mean, just list after list after list of things Jeez. where the public are noticing and they're going, if you guys can't, if, if you're so paralyzed internationally at these at these forums and in these meetings and you can't act, that's okay. Go home. We'll set up something else. And, and NATO is the one that has stood out, hasn't mm. it? They can actually do stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they do stuff. And, they, and the accountability is absolutely clear. Article 4, uh, you call Article 4, get together. If you think there's been an infringement on your territory or in, uh, or you're at risk of, of some um, a, a violent action against you, everybody gets together, has a quick discussion over 24 hours. Is there a threat? No. Move on. If there is a threat, Article 5. Great. It's, it's great to see the grown-ups in the room. Yeah. Josie, thank yeah, you very much. You. Thank God. Boys have lovely shirts. That's good. Good, good. We'll work on our shirt action. Josie, thank you so much for being with us. Lovely to see you again. Thanks, guys. Bye. Well, before we um, uh, bring Adam Yasser in from Warsaw, I never thought I'd ever say that in a podcast, and it's great. Uh, Before we do that, Peter, I thought we'd talk about crypto. Crypto. What a week. What a week. Now, I would like to say that I have always been profoundly skeptical about um, cryptocurrencies. I'm not at all skeptical about blockchain. I think it will underlie lots of things and contracts and so on. And I've uh, read a lot about it and written quite a bit about blockchain, particularly in its use for contracts in in developing countries where, for example, um, it makes it much easier, much more difficult for um, unethical people to steal properties than poor people. But this, the cryptocurrency thing is, I mean, if we think a fiat currency is just the US dollar is worth something because I say it is, uh, and we've now got FTC going completely tits up, as we say in the financial industry, uh, in, in the most spectacular way, uh, having essentially issued its own cryptocurrency tokens as collateral for real money. Yeah. And this, is the, this is the critical thing, is that underlying all this bullshit is real money. And that's what they're really after. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're exactly right. I have this view that fiat currency is actually, as you say, a promise, a social contract, an act of trust between the public at large and a belief that that government will be good when you ask for your money back in some other form. And in the American case, which has the US dollar, the reserve currency, it has the nuclear-powered aircraft carrier groups. Well, there's all that. There's all that. But it's also, I mean, it, it is true that they can also create inflation to reduce the long-term value of their debt. Which they're doing, it yeah. It is also true that, but, but you know, the these things are much more transparent than they are in this crypto world. Mm. And, and as, you know, they're not, it's not 30-year-old tosses with shorts, shorts on playing uh, computer games while he's borrowing or getting several hundred million dollars of investment from VCs. It, it's a, a, that's the amazing saga. 
That's the amazing we, thing about would it. Would you like to recap, recap the oh, yes. just in case people yes. don't know the saga? So, For those people who have been under a rock and good on you, I'd stay there too. Um, FTX was a crypto exchange, one of the biggest in the world, not the biggest, run by a guy called Sam Bankman-Fried. You might have seen his picture, big curly hair, always wearing a hoodie. And he managed to no, build this. T-shirt. He's t -shirt. not wearing a hoodie. He wears a T-shirt. T-shirt, yep. yep. T-shirt and shorts. Yeah. Yep. And not nearly as attractive as our shirts, short, short shirts either. No. But anyway, no. um, he, so he built this exchange, a crypto exchange, where you could uh, exchange your Bitcoin for your Ethereum, or you could buy some Bitcoin with some US dollars. And he then, without telling anyone, and without anyone really noticing when they should have, he was taking that money out the back door, borrowing against it, invest, using it to invest in other assets. Classic bank fraud. And well, Ponzi, it's, 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 you know, it is a classic Ponzi scheme, but I, yeah. I think one of the, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, it is the, the numbers are just stratospherically horrible. Oh yeah. And I just don't believe we've seen anything like the end of this. No. Yeah, and it's already. The Ontario, the Ontario teachers, teachers pension fund wrote off a hundred percent of its investment, uh, today. Temasek, the Singaporean, uh, sovereign wealth fund and, uh, wrote off its investment. Um, Masayoshi Son. From yeah. uh, SoftBank, personally owes four billion dollars back into SoftBank because SoftBank was one of. I, mean, I think the the viral the viral contagion here risk of contagion is quite substantial and more substantial than people will have um, will, will will believe. And it's also hilarious to see the the guy who was what we would call a receiver has gone into um, FTC is that they fixed up uh, or dealt with Enron, and he says that this is this is much 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 worse. And the fact is that lots of the so-called smartest people in the room gave him money. Sequoia Capital. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, this is it's another classic example, isn't it, of, of people kind of somehow quite finding the quirky person interesting. You know, it's a really interesting set of problems that, 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 that SBF has created here. Yeah. And he has also um, uh, essentially exposed himself as... As a as a liar, this idea of oh God forbid, yeah, no, this idea this idea of um, uh, useful utilitarianism. What's the phrase they use? Um, uh, where essentially um, he was very keen on ESG. He's very keen on being a being a billionaire or to give money away. Yeah, yeah. but he was giving other people's money away, which is what's so incredibly amusing. Yeah, and uh, and now now he's been um, caught. Well, he's in the Bahamas. He's not in a prison yet. Um, hmm. and, uh, just the, the detail, um, it's going to be a fantastic Netflix series sure. when it comes out. Well, I, I think it's actually, but also, so Bernard, who is doing the story about who's affected by this in New Zealand? I haven't seen it yet. There, there has been a couple of pieces, a good interview, um, that, uh, Chris Keel has done and also, mm -hmm. um, Peter Griffin did a piece for Business oh, Desk. Thank you, uh, so I don't have to do the why, oh, why isn't the mainstream media reporting this because I just haven't seen it myself yet. Which well, to be fair, be both of them will have been behind paywalls and I pay the subscription. So it isn't out there broadly. Yeah, so and it really does matter for New Zealand because uh, we've got upwards of a million people, according to various surveys, that have been involved with crypto, maybe have opened an account, maybe done some trading, mm. um, not necessarily through sharesies. And on this show, we've had... Uh, sharesies uh, do crypto, though. Ah, uh, well, you can buy various ETFs through them, I think. Well, and ETF, ETFs are not crypto, Bernard. Just no. Can I just think you need to 
Should we clarify that? No, no. Well, you can buy... funds are not crypto. No, but you can buy ETFs which do invest in crypto assets. Sure. So just, I think that's very, very important before you lose your financial financial (laughs) advisory license. Now, has has Adam turned up? Adam will be there. Let me just have a quick look. I can't see him. I don't see him in the attendees yet. That's all right. I've got myself lined up with the A's in the list. Yeah, so I I think this this has the the capacity to be much, much, much bigger than we think it is so far in New Zealand. And I think it has really hideous contagion capabilities because some of these people are going to have some very nasty margin calls. You've got some very big hedge funds in there. The great thing is Anthony Anthony Scaramucci uh, had just taken a... I think it was a $35 million investment from um, uh, FTX, but it required him to then buy $30 million back again of um, FTX tokens. So what does that look like to you? So uh, you invest in you and you buy him. Ponzi scheme. Another, it's and it's well beautiful. Dodgy. This is well dodgy. It's beautiful that Scaramucci got done um, because um, one of the jokes, of course, is that... Um, uh, uh, that the deal, which is when this all unraveled, Binance, which is the biggest mm. crypto exchange, yeah. for a minute looked like it was going to rescue FTX. Mm. And the two guys uh, who hate each other's guts apparently were going to come together in a merger. And I thought, oh my God, how did that happen? And anyway, it lasted about a couple of days and it was described in the Twitter sphere as two Scaramucci's worth of time. So Bernard, what is the point of cryptocurrencies then? Because I, I know somebody who, who bought an electric car off what she'd gained from uh, a small cryptocurrency investment. And I thought, hmm, maybe I am being even more naive than I normally am. Yeah, it works. I well dodgy, but. Yeah, it works well on the way up. And that's the thing about Ponzi scheme. They're fantastic for people who get in first. But um, in my view, crypto is an attempt to solve a problem that we don't have. And, and it's also failed in its attempts to solve some other problems that, mostly in the developed world, we don't hear. So the idea is that it's a more reliable way to transact, particularly across across borders, that cuts out some of the fees and time involved that the banking system have um, engineered themselves into. And of course, the big theory, of course, is that um, it's supposedly safer than fiat and more reliable. Um, and, uh, like any currency, you need a couple of basic things. It needs to be liquid. It needs to be stable and it needs to be, um, divisible and easily used for a basic transaction. And that's the problem with Bitcoin and the other cryptos. You cannot yet use it to buy a coffee easily. Or a banana. Or a banana. (laughs) Yeah. And, and the alternative in most developed economies now, particularly now that you've got uh, MasterCard and Visa um, rolled out pseudo FPOS type schemes, particularly with mm-hmm. PayWave. And in most countries now, you can easily do bank-to-bank transactions uh, on your phone. So that problem is not is not there anymore. And the issue of fiat currency, yep, I can see why people would be nervous about the Federal Reserve printing uh, $13 trillion and devaluing away uh, America's debts. Well, okay, stop buying U.S. treasuries, but they don't. Everyone buys U.S. treasuries. Why? Because they've got the nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, and it is still the reserve currency, um, mm-hmm. even though, you know, you could argue it's, it's key special, it's key secret source. The reason America has been this shining light, this energy, this machine of an economy for a hundred oh, years. This is, this is like the Gettysburg Address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, there's that too, the Gettysburg Address. 
um, yeah. was because it uh, it's got this um, energy and its ability to innovate and grow. And the part the part of the reason for that was its democracy, the longest running democracy, apart from obviously the Civil War. It's been remarkably stable and for a large power, unlike the rest of Europe and pretty much everywhere else except maybe the UK. And that is a major, major thing. And we, we can see that it's under threat right now, but still everyone wants to buy US dollars. So this is the, this is the thing that um, has made the fiat currencies both brilliant and vulnerable and the cryptos have not um, solved that problem uh, mm. and and in effect I think well, the other, the, the, to, to me one of the admissions of how bollocks the uh, cryptos are and you know as we know I don't have any but I kind of wish I you know gained on the up is the stable coin is the idea that you need a cryptocurrency, mm. a cryptocurrency which then has the backing of real money behind it and in the and in the end what you're essentially doing is creating a fixed yeah. Uh, pay to the US dollar. That's from a cryptocurrency. Exactly. That is, it's just <laughs> which means that somehow you have the resources, a balance sheet, which would allow you to buy and sell US dollars to keep the damn thing stable. This is exactly the problem New Zealand had in 1984 in that horrible moment in July the mm -hmm. 16th, 17th, when we had to close our currency markets because we couldn't afford to um, uh, buy the New Zealand dollars to keep it up. So eventually we had to float our currency. Now that's all fine uh, when you've got a stable economy and the ability to issue debt in your own currency, which we now do, which is one of the reasons why I think all of their fear about debt limits is, um, is oh, overdone. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, but the thing is, it only works when you've got a base to work on, you know, and that's what the, um, the amazing work of my, one of my heroes, John Maynard Keynes, at the, the great conference in the United States uh, um, of, uh, in 1944 at the hotel in New York, where they essentially redesigned the world's trading and currency system uh, around the name of the hotel, which has just escaped me right now. Unfortunately, I've outsourced my memory to Google. Um, and uh, Bretton Woods. So the original Bretton Woods, and and essentially, even though Bretton Woods has collapsed, we still have the US so dollar. Bretton as a, Woods is actually in, is it in uh, New York, uh, upstate, uh, upstate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And even though Bretton Woods is dead, um, crypto was supposed to be the new uh, um, Wild West libertarian version of uh, um, Bretton Woods, which gotten rid of it, got rid of it completely. That hasn't happened, and I think the reason we're we're talking about this now, and why we think it's important is that, yes, as you say, Peter, there's going to be more contagion. There's already been one crypto exchange that's collapsed in the last mm. couple of days because of FTX. Binance itself is now under question. The key thing here, of course, is that Sam Bankman-Fried created an investment fund attacked onto this crypto exchange, which then uh, went in and yeah. out the back door. And Binance also has one of these things. Now, uh, we'll see. Uh, how thought, long it survives. I thought survives. one of the best stories today was the was the in-house psychiatrist at, um, at um, FTX saying that, uh, of course, I'll be calling it FTC, I think, which is the Federal Trade Commission, which is possibly, possibly also in need of this, but the in-house psychiatrist who was also um, um, Sam's SBS uh, psychiatrist said the problem is that they weren't, that the staff who were all living together more or less in his um, uh, uh, penthouse in the Bahamas weren't having enough sex. 
Ah, that was the reason. So they were they were working it, but they were working too hard and weren't having enough sex. Yeah, you know, this is the issue. Uh, it seems like they're polycule. Apparently, there was a polycule going on uh, over in the Bahamas. That? A polycule. Have you not heard could of? You, could you tell us what that is, please, Ben? So I'm a I'm a child by comparison. So this is um, uh, polyamory. I'm not sure I want to know? But no, polyamory oh, no, we, with. Jesus Christ! I thought the gin the gin episode was was when we <laughs> reached our zenith of popularity. Yeah, you're going to talk. You about can that Google it. Uh, essentially, this is where a lot of people in a, in the same place date each other. It's all um, uh, very very mm. um, interesting. Yeah. And uh, this is uh, an, is- an issue with the the, um, the FTX. It turned out, of course, that um, Sam Bankman-Fried's girlfriend, uh, uh, on-off girlfriend, girlfriend professional colleague, yes, was running the investment fund. <clears throat> and um, uh, what I found most interesting, and I put it into the uh, the dawn chorus yesterday, was a link to an extraordinary uh, series of direct message exchanges between journalists who. Reach, reached out. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then he's now saying, oh, I wish I hadn't talked to you directly <laughs> on Vox. And she's saying, actually, you just did, you twit. I mean, he's, the other thing is he is 30. Do we need to, do we need to feel as though he, he, he is only 30? Yes, I think that's, that's important. You'd quite like to someone like that to have actually done something uh, earlier. Um, and I think it's worth uh, uh, remembering that the great talk of crypto and Bitcoin is as much about the American hustle as it is uh, about anything else. And I think this mm. is a another wake-up call. I mean, hustle is great. And, you know, um, there's so many huge heroes who've done amazing things who faked it until they made it. Uh, and some of them don't actually make it and they're still faking it and it all mm. falls apart. Well, speaking of which, well, that's probably quite a good segue to to Elon Musk, isn't it? I think so. Um, Elon Musk, um, I think, is uh, doing extraordinary things today as well. He seems to do them every day. Uh, Do you want to tell us what you know? He fired the guy. Allegedly, he fired the guy who who was in control of the um, access keys to the office and um, had to then ring him up and say, nobody else can get into the office's now that you've left. So all the offices were closed. I'm sorry, Brent Tamahori is it was a parody uh, but it's but it, would, it, it is so close it could to be true. reality. I, it's I, like, I was looking today at us. I do apologize, Brett. Thank you very much. Jesus, you just saved me from being sucked into no, this no, no. information. But, but there is real stuff out cold. there in which he closed the offices and he um told everyone they had to sign up to this pledge to stay on, otherwise they were deemed to be sacked and get three months um, payoff. And from what I've seen from the credible sources who are reporting on what's happening there today, uh, there are a bunch of entire teams which have gone or been sacked who are actually necessary to keep the site going. And one of the recommendations is that if you are worried about your own tweets and all of the information you have in the Twitter being basically not there one day when you turn up to a 404 message or whatever they're called again, uh, to download all of your um, your data. So um, I must say that's something I've done in the last 24 hours. Is, well, yeah, but has yours come? I've applied for Lime. Yeah. It's come yet. No, I haven't, I haven't seen it. Um, How many subscribers do you have, um, followers do you have on Twitter, Bill? Uh, it's quite a few. Uh, I think it's actually the most of any um, political oh. and economic journalist oh. in the country. Uh, 
which is good. Um, although that means I've just handed over my main marketing tool to someone who, um, I don't know, 36,400. Oh, that's impressive. I've only got about seven, seven and a half thousand. I thought yeah, I was yeah. doing well, but that's yeah, no, very it's, impressive. It's good. Um, well, there'll be people on Hokitika hanging on your every word. Yeah. <laughs> but it isn't, it is an issue if you're looking to build a, a business online and you need to reach out to a broader audience and you've built up a group, you've essentially uh, allowed your marketing strategy to, to be held hostage by a firm, as we discover now, that could um, blow up at any moment. And uh, it's one of the reasons I like Substack a lot is that it allows you to come and go and take your data. And oh, we're your... not going to have your usual bloody promotion. Oh, Substack. true, Thank true. You very that's, much. that's true. Um, uh, but, but it is true. Look, look, I think we said this last week. All of us would love... Uh, must succeed in improving, running, making Twitter robust. There are only 210, 230 million people on Twitter, mm -hmm. but it is open. It is remarkably free. Until this week, I'm, I'm getting completely mashed getting DMs from ghastly um, uh, cyber currency people, which is cryptocurrency people, rather. Cyber currency is the next one. Cryptocurrency people. Uh, probably I'll get even more after discussing it with you today. But, you know, it would be a great pity to see this thing implode even worse than it already is. But I fear that Brett is right, that it, that it, it, it may well. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, there's actually plenty of stuff going on in our economy. Um, in the coming week, we've got the Reserve Bank's last big set piece of the year. Next Wednesday at 2 o'clock, it's expected to put up the official cash rate from 3.5% to 4.25%. And um, uh, I would, I would uh, suggest that this is the last chance for the Reserve Bank to, uh, uh, last chance for the Reserve Bank to do this mm -hmm. increase in monetary policy before they go away for the summer and not come back until February the 22nd. It's unusual. In the last two or three years, the Reserve Bank is widening it's some holiday and mm -hmm. increasing the gap between decisions on monetary policy. And right now, of course, with it all, all happening, they may have to front load quite a bit of the hike uh, next Wednesday just to make sure they get through the summer and get as much oh, really? heat so in there think, as well. You think it'd be 0.75 better? Uh, uh, I think it's going to be 0.75. And that is the um, uh, consensus among the economists. The market consensus, I'm told this morning, is somewhere between 50 and 75. I think uh, the Reserve Bank will go 75. And then um, we're going to see another slowdown, not just in our economy, but all around the world. The signs from the United States this week, for example, um, the big increase in mortgage rates, the 30-year mortgage rate, well over 7%, has completely taken the wind out of the sails of the housing market there. Uh, when you look at the producer price indices and the latest inflation numbers, they are really starting to slow down in the United States. And you saw in China this week um, another fall in their producer price indices. So China is now exporting deflation again, which mm. will help um, take the inflation um, pressure off. And that is um, good news for, uh, for those people worried about interest rates. And of course, it it really matters if you are thinking about what's happening with the economy and with asset values. I mean, this week we had um, the big news in the policy circles, of course, was the Resource Management Act uh, replacement um, uh, that came through. And I made the point, as I do often, that uh, a lot of these changes seem important, but actually the most important thing that 
uh, limits our economy and our ability to change it is that we don't have a capital gains tax or any sort of wealth mm. tax or any tax on unleveraged on leveraged gains in residential land values. And that means that um, we are not um, seeing an increase in investment much and a complete focus by all households and businesses on what happens to interest rates. Because if interest rates go down, mm -hmm. the value of your assets and your land goes up. So that is um, important to watch. The question is, how much more does the Reserve Bank do when they come back on February the 22nd? Currently, the economists are saying that uh, you might see it go from 4.25 to 5, or maybe 4.75 in February. And, and then once we get to 5, that pretty much is a peak. And our inflation is starting to come down as well. Although right now, it's, it seems painful at over 7%. But it is going to um, see the pressure from the rest of the world flow through. And also, you know, our own economy... Um, uh, I must say, a few weeks ago, I thought that as summer approached, as uh, interest rates stopped rising, there would be a bit more heat come back into the housing market. Mm -hmm. we, we got numbers this it's week. the opposite, isn't it? Yeah, we got numbers this week from the Real Estate Institute, which showed actually across the housing price index, a very slight increase in raw terms, but in seasonally adjusted terms, it was down about 1%. And uh, I think we're still on track for the 20% peak to trough fall that the Reserve Bank has talked about. And that most other bank economists are between sort of 15 to 20% is their forecast. We're on track for that. But there's clear signs that it's bottoming out. And we heard from Tony Alexander this week, and I included him in the, um, I included him in the uh, Dawn Chorus today. He came out with a note yesterday uh, saying that he thought uh, that the market, again, is also into a bottoming out mode. And that once we see... Um, uh, once we see uh, what happens with the election, if the Nats get in, interest rates are falling again, uh, then it's all on for a big surge in the housing market in 2024. Christ, there's Robert. He didn't get the memo about the shirt. <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's a bit of colour in there. I'm waiting for it to arrive in the mail. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to work Hi, on this. Um, well, Professor Pratman, as I think of you. Yes. Uh, great to see you, Robert. Thank you very much for coming on. Oh, um, very welcome. Good to see you. Yeah. Uh, it's been a, a big old week in both conference uh, terms of, for global leaders, but also mm. in Poland, where so a couple of uh, Russian-made missiles uh, hit a grain silo and killed a couple of uh, Polish people. And for a moment, yeah. a few hours, everyone was very nervous. So well, what did you make of that uh, episode? Yes. Well, like many, I firstly feared the worst that, uh, uh, that the long-predicted spillover of the war in Ukraine uh, had happened. But uh, the NATO response was measured and the, uh, the, you know, there was an immediate focus on trying to determine where the missile was from. And it quickly emerged that, uh, well, quickly, relatively quickly emerged that, in fact, um, the missile seems to have been an air defense missile from Ukraine, which, of course, was activated by the massive military yeah. attack a massive missile attack, I should say, from the Russians. Between 90 and 100 missiles rained in on uh, Ukraine that day. And um, this sort of thing happens in war. I mean, you know, you... Yeah, Robert, I, I, think thought, was... I thought my, my theory on that, which I, I, I put in my spin-off thing yesterday, was that we should actually be kind of relieved that it appeared as though there were still adults in charge because the, 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 uh, the, the, the Polish president was very measured about this. Biden yeah. was extraordinarily measured about it. 
even the Russians were, weren't completely bonkers about it. It just seemed like a very intelligent sort of pause. I mean, there was some frenzy on Twitter and other places, but that the way it was handled looked very, very good to me. Very sensible. Yeah, I mean, I I think Biden was pretty quick to say he didn't think the 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 trajectory of the missile came from Russia, um, but you know, it, Russia is basically responsible for this mm, episode yes, of because Russia, you know, Ukraine only launched that uh, air defense missile in response to missiles raining down on itself from Moscow. So the, the Ukrainians are very conscious that close to 30, 35% of its civilian infrastructure relating to power has been severely damaged. So, um, and with winter intensifying, that's a concern. But I think the upshot of this episode will be uh, counterproductive for the mm. Putin regime. In fact, Zelensky's probably going to get the sophisticated and modern air defense systems he's been asking for ah, yes. for the last six months. That is really I, interesting I that he's sorry, used this. He's used this as an opportunity to um, apply a bit of pressure. He, he seems remarkable mm. at uh, reaching out um, <laughs> through and around and behind all of the world's leaders, turning up on their TV shows when they weren't expecting yeah. them to um, apply um, moral suasive force. And uh, it's interesting that they, they held on to the outrage for quite maybe a little bit longer than they should have in the last few days. Yeah. Even up until yesterday, they were still saying, they were still um, raging about how um, the Russians had attacked their neighbours. Um, do you think there's some people who fear that Zelensky overplays his hand a bit and um, there's a bunch of people on the sort of left of American politics, and then on the extreme right of American politics, who would quite like America to pull back a bit. But uh, what did you make of Zelensky's approach to it? Those people on the left and the right who want a land for peace deal probably seized on Zelensky's overplaying of the hand to make their mm. case. Um, I don't think this will change things. I, I mean, the response from the EU is that they're going to step up um, support in terms of transformers to try and compensate for the lack of power the great the uh, i mean this is an extremely uh, brutal and cynical play by the russians to missile you know missiles on water systems electricity system mm. power systems uh it's unfortunately it's going not from their point of view it's not going to work because all the indications are it only toughens the resolve of the ukrainians and it will mobilize um, Ukraine's allies to support them. So I think Mr. Win Mr. Uh, Putin may not have his days of raining missiles on Ukraine may be limited. And he can't have many. I'm just going to tweet that out under your name, Robert, because oh, it's extremely that, bloody dangerous. Well, got, I don't know. I, I, I he's think got that his, he's, got his, he's got his head of the head of the Security Council in Iran as we speak, mm. ordering more. You know, yeah, but the, yeah. I, I think what well, I think Robert's right in that um, the Ukrainians, well, you, we, you being a global strategic expert, of course, with your little world map behind you in the well, you know, it's a very good map. It's a very no. I think I think uh, Robert's points about the Ukrainians um, saying, "Hey, uh, we we don't want our Russian-made missiles veering off and hitting anyone else. Yeah. Give us some good American ones." They'll be excellent. <laughs> Love some Israeli ones, but oh, yeah. turned down repeatedly yeah. by Israel. That's right. Well, Robert, did you see the video yesterday, though, of what appears to be a German Iris yes. uh, surface-to-air missile 
shooting down a Russian um, cruise missile, which was pretty cool, actually. I, I will try and I'll, I'll dig, dig it up. And it was pretty, well, when I say cool, it was a rather extraordinary piece of video because one forgets how slow cruise missiles but are. Just imagine the problem that Mr. Putin will have if he can no longer send these missiles over and his army is getting battered on the ground. Mm. This, is, this is quite serious stuff for him. And uh, China also, I think, sent an ominous message to Moscow in the last few days. Yeah, what did you think of you noticed, that? But at the G20 meeting... Biden and Xi Jinping seem to be friendlier than they were before. And secondly, um, uh, Xi Jinping said, and this was a really telling statement, he said Russia should respect the territorial integrity of Ukraine. Uh, absolutely. Is, if you decode that, he's saying yeah. Russia should go back to its internationally recognized borders. Exactly. So it seems to me that China is in the process of distancing itself now from Russia, having flirted with the invasion. And so, and so I'm going to ask you a question now, and I'm going to go and find something I want to read to you as well. But the thinking about that meeting, the G G20, and thinking also about um, Jacinda Ardern seeing Xi uh, soon on APEC, I'm wondering whether we're whether we should be incredibly positive about Xi's appearance at G20, the subtle signals that came out of the Biden connection, and even the subtle subtle connections that came out of that. Um, signals that came out of the out of the Trudeau discussion where she was very frank, very clear. I don't know, it I just it made me feel much more positive about about the possibilities, but I know I'm a naive child about these things. No, I, I, I think I think there's been some arguments behind the scene in Beijing about Xi's position in Ukraine. And I think there's been a few reminders that the Chinese economy is not doing as well as it was and that the Chinese economy is critically dependent on access to global capitalist markets, not least in the United States, EU, Japan. And I think one or two people have said to Xi um, that if we get too closely associated with Mr. Putin's catastrophic invasion, which he's losing, by the way, on the ground, mm -hmm. This is not this is this is going to be a double whammy. First of all, we're not going to get any diplomatic you know spin-off from this, but it also could hurt hurt us economically. And the sanctions, I mean the the Americans have quietly but repeatedly warned the Chinese about the possibility of being sanctioned mm -hmm. if they support China too much. Now to be fair, China's been always very measured, but its rhetoric has also upset the Americans, but uh, yeah, I, I, I found this very interesting. I, I think Putin's looking increasingly isolated. And there was also that very interesting meeting between William Burns, the CIA mm. director, and his counterpart mm. from Russian intelligence, Sergei Narushin, who um, head of foreign intelligence in Russia. And apparently, uh, according to the Washington Post, the bottom line message was a warning to Putin uh, not we know what to you're use to. nuclear weapons under any circumstances, which I think reflects the American assessment that Ukrainian counteroffensive is going to gain even more momentum in the next month. And um, the reason being is the Ukrainians have impressively built on the capture, or the, well, it was the capture of Kherson, although the Russians retreated before yeah. they yeah. only took over, but they haven't let up. 
Mm. Uh, I think there's a perception in Kyiv they've got the Russians on the ropes now because the Russians, they're not going to allow them to regroup and settle down and then sort of mm. reorganize themselves. They want to yeah. be like keep landing blows while they're in disarray. And the, <laughs> some of the troops they're facing now, as the Ukrainian military have said, have had no training. And, and if you look at their casualties in the last week, they've been utterly appalling, the Russian casualties. Yeah. So and, it, and, it's a and the Ukrainians know, too, that, that continual wins on the battlefield will um, bolster the support that they have in the West, uh, particularly mm -hmm. in the United States with the Congress flipping to yeah. the Republicans. They have to keep the pressure on and also pressure on the Chinese. No, not even the Chinese want to be associated with a loser. And um, I think, actually, that one of the key underlying pressures for Xi and why he is saying things like, uh, hey, mate, stick to the border, is that his economy is in uh, quite a bit of trouble at the moment. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw, but in the last few days in Guangzhou, uh, there's been a really serious COVID breakout. And there were some very unusual uh, um, riots. <laughs> Riots where people uh, broke through some barriers, and I'll put the link up here to a BBC story, but uh, Xi has the potential here for um, uh, unrest behind mm -hmm. his own borders and an economy which is slowing fast. And even though he's trying to help out these property developers and the local governments are in all sorts of mm -hmm. strife, uh, when people you know, start to break through barriers, um, he's got to be a little bit careful himself. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think the nightmare scenario for Xi must be um, protests um, against a declining, you know, through the COVID, being triggered by the COVID um, responses of the authorities, but also perhaps fueled by a declining economy. People feel they've got less to, less to lose. And all authoritarian regimes absolutely dread large-scale protests because it can obviously result in regime change, particularly they, you know, become very large scale. And um, so, yeah, I, I think one of the, I think you're quite right. I think one of the reasons that the Chinese have adjusted their position is for what I call regime security reasons in mm -hmm. Beijing. They've begun mm -hmm. to realize that Putin could, Putin's regime is not only in deep trouble, but if they continue to flirt with it, they could find themselves in deep trouble themselves. Well, that's an excellent segue which I'm going to come back to in a second, because I just found the thing I was looking for, which was from a friend of Bernard Mann, Bill Bishop, who's a very good commentator on China, mm. was pointing out a piece in the FT, which quoted a Chinese official as saying, Putin didn't tell Xi the truth, referring to the war. If he'd told us, we wouldn't have been in such an awkward position. We had more than 6,000 Chinese nationals living in Ukraine, and some of them died during the evacuation, although we can't make that public. So I think we were entering a really interesting phase. Well, but what would you like to see out of any Ardern Xi meeting at APEC? Well, I think I, I, what I would like to see, uh, it won't happen, of course. <laughs> um, I, I would like um, Jacinda Ardern to basically um, be very clear about our interests in the Pacific Island states. Uh, there's some irritation, of course, of the Chinese role there, but also to spell out to Xi Jinping, I know she's done it privately, but it, again, she's got the opportunity that because we've got a fruitful economic relationship with China, that does not mean 
that we can in any way take a step back on our core values, our political values and our our interests. And um, I think sometimes the Chinese have assumed that because they're a superpower and we're a relatively small state, that that gives them not just economic, but political leverage as well. And I, I think, you know, it, it's important message for the prime minister to get across. Do you think and he also, might invite her to raise issues about human rights in China again. Do you think he will invite her to Beijing? Sorry? Do you think he will invite her to Beijing? Because I do. I reckon he's going I, to I think so. I think that Jacinda Ardern, I know she's got her domestic detractors here, but she's highly regarded internationally. Mm. And the other thing is, what really impressed me is that Jacinda Ardern has not only got a lot of personal charm, she has got a bit of steel in her backbone as well. Mm. I was struck by the fact that immediately after the Christchurch terror atrocity back in March 2019, within a few weeks, she traveled to Beijing and met with Xi Jinping when relations between New Zealand and China were quite shaky. You remember the Huawei controversy mm -hmm. where the Chinese were very frustrated by the fact that Huawei had been excluded from the 5G project. Well, in a one-day meeting, a lot was achieved. Um, relations were repaired, but also... There was an agreement in principle to upgrade the New Zealand-China free trade agreement. And um, I think China does appreciate New Zealand's stance, which it does. New Zealand's outside AUKUS, um, it's seen as uh, close to the United States, but, you know, not a, not a crony. And uh, I think yeah, China is mindful that New Zealand is seen in a different light in the Indo-Pacific to, say, Australia. So 10-second answer. Robert, and we're making you go all over the world, which since you're a professor of international affairs. Iran, quick sentence, please. Well, uh, it's gaining momentum, the protests, and I think the regime is facing the worst tests, uh, the biggest tests since 1979 when he gained power. Mm. Thank you. So Bernard's now going to roll us out with a skateboarding dog, which you're most welcome to watch if you haven't seen it already, Robert. It's great to see you. Thank you so much, Thank Robert. You much. Great to see you guys. Really great to have you back on again. It's it's uh, it's wonderful. And no doubt, unfortunately, all these global dramas will keep going. We'll have you back again. But Peter's right. Easy. We have a skateboarding dog. Or in this case, it is a live cross uh, to a TV reporter in Africa, and I'm going to quickly go to the share screen, and uh, here we go. I hope you all enjoy this, and you can hear it. You can't. That's the problem. And my my apologies. You can you can get the the sense of it. So where he's doing a live cross. Slide him along a bit, Bernard. Slide. Here we, here we go. You see the... Uh, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> uh, and he's still going. I got to love this guy. He's such a pro. He's a real professional. <laughs> Do you think he's thinking, oh, this is going to go viral. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you, guys. We needed that laugh. Thanks for staying on, Robert. You're, you're a great sport. As always. Oh, thank, thank you. you. That, was, that was wonderful. I really enjoyed that. Thank, thank you, Robert. Uh, ka kite. Have a good weekend, guys. Thank, ka kite no, everyone. Really we enjoyed weekends. And uh, we shall hard, see you. We're hardcore. We don't do weekends. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. Have a good hardcore weekend. Yeah, yeah. Bye-bye. Ka kite. Record.